Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Frustick. And welcome to The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are talking about The Resties Required Reading List. We're back, baby. It's better than ever. By uh, popular demand, the people want to know what they haven't played. They need to. <laughs> and we're going to tell you. For people who do not remember or people who want a catch-up, here's how it works. Our goal is to collect a list of 25, count them, 25 on-the-dot games from Pac-Man to modern day. That is 1980 to 2020. Keeping a round number there, not going all the way up to 2122. Because, you know, that's not even history yet. Who knows how we'll feel about those things. These are not the best games or even our favorite games. This is definitely not one of those top 100 games of all time lists. You can find plenty of those. Go to google.com, type best 100 games of all time. You'll get a lot of good Is results. that how Google works? That's how Google works. And oh, there's okay. one on Polygon that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, these are the games that we feel everyone who wants to have a fundamental appreciation of video games should play. They're the games that we think will give you a richer connection with video games so you could think of this as a syllabus for like video games 101 or if you were going to make a video game dedicated to museums these are the 25 rooms that you'd want to put into it it is intentionally limited that is both to emphasize the importance of each game and to make it so that you could actually play the entire the entire list. We want to make it a doable achievement. Yeah, and because I think most people are not going to make a video game about a museum or whatever you just said. Sure. Uh, it's more just like if someone is at a party and you overhear someone saying like, man, I really love Halo because it was the first first-person shooter ever made. You could just dunk the shit on that guy and say like, you're an idiot because... I don't know what the what was that face man was the first person <laughs> face you, man face yeah. man what was that with the faces and they float around and you shoot them Smiling. I mean that wasn't even the faces. first first person you're thinking it's a tank game yeah anyway here's the point you can dunk on that guy <laughs> yes and if there's any reason to listen to this it's apparently to be smug um the good news is we've already done two episodes of this yeah so we have some games on our list. Maybe you've heard of them. We did 1985 to 1989. It's a five-year chunk. We did Super Mario Brothers, The Legend of Zelda, the original one, and SimCity made the cut. And then uh, we did an episode on 2005 to 2009. Resident Evil 4, Wii Sports, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare also made the cut. So we got six of 25 Six already. of the 25. Um, each episode is, as you could probably guess from that, following a five-year chunk a half a decade and that's from 1980 to 2020 so we have many more to go this week i am extremely excited about it maybe the most important half decade in the history of video games there are some pretty insane uh years in these in this chunk it's a bonkers window we are doing 1995 to 1999 wait this bonkers is... came out at this point bon- yes bon- bonk came out well actually Bonk came out a little bit before this for i believe the jaguar um real humor for an audience of four uh 1995 i mean this is the snes era the sega genesis era and then going all the way to the sega dreamcast a lot happens during this period of time so 
I think without further ado, we should dig into it. We'll start with 1995 and start picking some narrow, narrowing down the list. Yeah, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, we're back. Here's the good news, Fresh. I think 1995 is not the best year on this list, which is going to sound bonkers because it has Chrono Trigger in it. That's true. <laughs> but this to me is a really awkward transition point. This is where video game developers and publishers have this sense of, okay, we need to be moving into 3D. 3D is the future of video games. Say goodbye to 2D gaming, which we've spent the better part of a decade really Even longer nailing. than that, because the 80s was also... Sh- sure, I guess what I'm saying, like, you know, console gaming, Mario. Yeah. Yes, like really fig- establishing this type of game. Um, they, they'd honed in on it. So we're getting some of the best games. We're getting things like Chrono Trigger. The best 2D games, specifically. Yes. yes. We're getting things like XCOM, UFO Defense, things that are kind of like playing with how 2D is even portrayed. Donkey Kong Country 2, which is using um, pre, pre-captured? pre Is that the Pre-rendered, pre-rendered. Uh, 3D images but, and then presenting them in a 2D uh, engine. Yes. So all of that's happening. And then at the same time, we have stuff like Tekken 2 and Virtual Fighter 2 and Jumping Flash, where studios are trying to figure out, like, well, how the hell do people even get around in 3D worlds? Yes. Um, so it's a weird time. Are, what are some of the games from this year that really stick out to you? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Looking at this list, you mentioned Chrono Trigger, certainly one of the best art- you know, I've talked a lot of it in the past about how I can't play JRPGs. That is one of the few that I've played and really enjoyed, um, mostly from a narrative standpoint, from a structural standpoint. I think it's spectacular. Um, I'm not sure it's going to make the final list, but certainly an amazing, an amazing game. Um, I also greatly appreciate Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, which I think came up very high in our tier list or bracket, whatever we did for the Mario games. Um amazing um probably the only standout super amazing yoshi game uh that has come out uh, i that's kind of hurt people's feelings i'm sorry um of the those are probably the two that like immediately jump out to me although you, you know you mentioned we are starting to like dip into 3d i did want to even though it's not going to make the cut call out jumping flash which I think might have been the first that or Virtual Fighter was the first uh, like 3D game I like witnessed, and it was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, and Jumping Flash was like one of the, if not the first major 3D platformer. Yeah, you were a rabbit, a robotic rabbit, and you jumped around a world in 3D. I don't know what you did collecting yeah. carrots. What were you doing? Yeah, it's it's a bit proof of concept these days. Yeah. Um, to give folks an idea of stuff that came out this year, I mean, a ton of big stuff: Warcraft Two, Command and Conquer, Panzer Dragoon, Tactics Ogre, uh, Dragon Quest Six, which I think is good. I Marathon couldn't tell you two, if it was good or not. But. Yeah, <laughs> XCOM UFO Defense, which we had to take a, a, a beat here with XCOM. Did you have any games in your childhood that like defined your childhood? And now as an adult, you look back and you're like, wait, did I even play it? Yeah, that was not one of them. I never played the original XCOM when I was growing up. I so. my my neighbor, my best friend, my neighbor, his older brother was obsessed with XCOM UFO defense. And therefore, I thought it was the coolest game in the world. Sure. 
But now that I like, I look back and I'm like, how much of that game did I actually play, and how much did I just watch? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess the Final Fantasy games was similar for me. I never really hands-on played them until seven, but uh, definitely watched a lot of people playing them. Yeah, uh, NHL '96 is here, which is I think a masterpiece of sports games, um, and Twisted Metal. But a lot of this stuff, I mean, I I don't think it's a secret for listeners of our show. We are not big um, strategy game people. Or that, I mean, I love Fire Emblem, but sure. not, none of the other ones. <laughs> sure. Well, yes, not, that's, that's not true. I like, I like the newer XCOM games as well. And I do think there is another strategy game on that's going to come up in this episode that I think will outdo both Warcraft 2 and Command and & Conquer. I have a feeling that for Warcraft, World of Warcraft will get on our list later. I would be yeah, but I wouldn't. Uh, I guess the question on Warcraft is... I mean, I wouldn't even categorize them as the same because World of Warcraft, MMO, Warcraft sure. 2, and RTS. So what is the, like, RTS that people look to that, like, define the genre? It, yeah, it might, arguably might, it might be, be Warcraft 2 or Command & Conquer. Yeah, I, I, I do think it, it probably is one of those. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 think we'll, I think we'll come back to it. The case for Chrono Trigger while we're here... It doesn't have the legacy that, you know, a Dragon Quest has, right? Or a Final Fantasy. But I do think there's just the simple case of it's the best RPG ever made, maybe? Like, it might be. I um, certainly think it's up there. I think it, there's something to be said for it being a quasi-cogent story, which is very rare in JRPGs, quite honestly. Well, being kind of experimental in structure. Yeah, very experimental with the time travel. Great characterization, great music, uh, amazing art, as we've talked about. Like, this is the pinnacle of 16-bit art. So of these, you know, I would certainly, I think it it does stand out uh, to me as a pretty high peak of certainly 2D. Of the 2D JRPGs, it is my favorite by a, a mile. Yeah, I think we'll be coming back to it. Uh, Should we move on to 1996? Yes. Okay, Uh, and for everybody who's listening, for the beginning of this episode, we're just going to get through these years and kind of start to narrow it down. Yeah, we're going to make a short list. Yeah, what's going to stick? So 1996, now we're entering what I would call peak PC computing superiority era. Like, this is the year of Quake and Diablo, we're like starting to see a really healthy mod scene. Land culture is like the way that you play competitive multiplayer games uh, across screens. Yeah, it's funny you say superiority though, because it really was. You know, I, I feel like consoles and PC were both putting in some pretty heavy hitters this year. Oh, I, I mean, that's not to say that the console games don't matter. I just think the culture, like as a culture, I remember this being wow, PC gaming is cool it's legit you could like i felt like an outsider looking in when i knew like yeah maybe it's a little more culture maybe it's a uh, approach pc gaming is approaching a little more mainstream this year yes before eventually like completely falling off a cliff and then taking another decade to revive yeah um so 1996 it's the nintendo 64 year yeah mario 64 it's also the year that pokemon red and blue comes out yeah Oh, absolutely bonkers year. Uh, just to, I'm just going to list these off really quick. Quake, Civilization 2, which I think is another game up there in terms of strategy that we should be thinking about. Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, Mario Kart 64, Super Mario RPG, Diablo, 
Pokemon Nights into Dreams. I'm putting Die Hard Arcade out there just because <laughs> it's a personal favorite. I it is fun. It's I, go I do like that arcade game a lot. Game rules. Yeah. Um, the original Persona, Harvest Moon. Yeah. It's a, again, this, now we're, now when we're just, you know, we're cooking with gas. We are. What, what of those do you think really stands out for you? I mean, it's hard to like look past Mario 64. I, that's what I was going to say. I, I would be very surprised if we ended this episode and didn't continue Mario 64 on, even though I realize we already have a Mario game on our list. Mario 64 defined how you can smoothly explore a 3D space in a third-person game. Like, that game is it. I know Tomb Raider came out the same year. I know Resident Evil was out this year, but no game came close to the fluidity, to the uh, just look and feel of moving through a 3D space as a third person character. And all of the stuff that was introduced in Mario 64, like so much of that stuff, that DNA exists today, uh, whether it's like camera controls or just, again, moving around the world. It It is, uh, it was totally mind-blowing my first experience playing it i was at the mall and i hadn't i didn't have an n64 but there was this place where you can rent an n64 for like by the hour you'd pay whatever five dollars an hour or something like that and you just like had full access to it and i just spent that entire hour just running through the castle sliding down the banisters with my mind with my mouth like fully open it was shocking yeah, so. I mean, that comparison that you made to Resident Evil and Tomb Raider actually hurts those two games now in, in the present day. Because it's almost like all three of them were taking different approaches to how it feels to move and control a camera in a 3D world. Yeah, and Resident the, Evil said, like, no, you don't get to control the camera at all. Yeah. Uh, and then Tomb, Tomb Raider, Raider was like, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of, like, limited to, uh, like, angles. Effectively, almost. it was just behind the back I think for ninety percent of it, right? You didn't yeah, really get well, and to you move like, the camera independently. Yeah, you're kind of like moving somewhat also like a tank. It's just it does not feel um it feels like eight point direction. Almost, yeah, it was rather it was than very like full three sixty. Yeah. And then Super Mario sixty four. And that 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 format clearly has won out in the long term. Yeah. Um I mean Tomb Raider and Resident Evil did their own things. They're, they did. They both have like significance. I think Resident Evil probably more so than Tomb Raider at this point. Yes. Yeah, just for introducing, you know, uh, survival horror to gaming really. Yeah, yeah, and really making it popular. And and then I think there's Diablo which just absolutely consumed a certain set of players. But I, if we're going to include that, I, I feel like Diablo 2 is the polished yeah, version that we would want to include. I would agree. I, I think Diablo was an interesting concept that didn't really get turned into Diablo until Diablo 2. So Harvest Moon, this one I, I, I'm going to pickle with because I think Harvest Moon is an extremely important game yeah <laughs> like it it basically showed an alternate path as games were getting increasingly violent and like combat focused here is a game that came up with an entire style of play separate from that um that i think was more inviting to gamers i think it was more inclusive um yeah i'm trying to think of like what were like life was there were there life sims before harvest moon there were but not necessarily popular in the u.s yeah um i I think it brings the trend over here and 
weirdly, you know, Harvest Moon was very hard to come by at its time of release. I remember as a kid calling uh, Babbage's, which all those, every one of those stores became GameStop eventually. Yeah. But calling them like day after day asking if they had gotten a copy yet. Um, and then, like that's where pre-orders kind of like started because it was just so hard to ensure that you were going to get a copy of a game and you didn't know how many prints it would get. Yeah, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Country was my version of that. I was calling uh, Blockbuster repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. But, I somehow ended up, sorry, brief, oh yeah, brief segue. I somehow ended up with a VHS tape of a trailer of Donkey Kong Country that I guess I got, I don't know, with my Nintendo Power oh, subscription. Yeah. I, I remember that. I think you could even, like, they would have, like, late-night commercials or something where it was, like, call in and get your... Here's how the Nintendo 64 works. Yeah, I remember. VHS. So weird. I remember clearing out a house and, and finding it, and I was like, oh, this is probably worth something, and then chalking it, because who has the time? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I mean, Pokemon Red and Blue, which, speaking of games, like, really, really difficult to imagine not being on our final list, basically creates the biggest brand on planet earth bigger yep. than mickey mouse bigger than mario bigger than anything uh i mean it just yeah the, the problem with mickey mouse is there's only one of them you can't you collect one mickey mouse and you're done yeah and there's just they just keep making more mickey mouses over here i mean the wildest thing about pokemon red and blue and why i i don't know it, it's on that like best games of all time most important games of all time every every list you can think of is they coded it like to be the size of I don't know, like your calcul calculator game. Yeah, it's like a Google it, Doc. File yeah, size. it is the smallest amount of information, and they ended up creating a template that is effectively just still used today. Yeah, you know they still add stuff onto it, but the template's the template, the template. And yeah, if we're gonna include a Pokemon game, it has to be this one because so many like the modern Pokemon games pull so much from this original Pokemon game that. Yeah, it'd be hard to not include this one in particular, although I'm not saying that we necessarily should because the mm -hmm. counter argument is that outside of the Pokemon franchise, no other real franchises still exist that pull a ton from this format. There are a couple like indie what? attempts no. at Pokemon format. Now, well, what, what are some good recent examples? Well, not of good, but UGO is still like, or Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever it is, is still a huge thing. Like, there's still brands out there that are doing this. I, I would also say you see the kind of monster collecting in other ways, like Persona, you know? Yeah, but monster collecting existed before Pokemon, right? Mm, not really like this. I feel like this is a pretty distinct... Well, let's bold it. We'll bold yeah, it. We'll, we'll, we'll bold it and keep we'll going. Come uh, you want to hop over to 1997? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. That is a crazy year, though, man. Here, 97 is the year that basically first-person shooters go to consoles and truly go mainstream. Yeah. And this is the year that GoldenEye 007 comes out. I, I wrote in our notes that, to me, this is the, like, punk rock game design era. And I'm, I'm not saying that as, like, either praise or pejorative. It's just that studios were still small enough that they could kind of make what they wanted to but they were getting large enough that they could go like swing big. Yeah. So you had, you know, Postal was, came out in 1997, which, you know, how would you describe that game for people? Oh, God. It's like, it's, an it's a first person shooter, right? Where it's intentionally 
just like obnoxious, like horrifically oh, offensive. Yeah, you're peeing on people, ha, huh? and you're like pooping and throwing. But I, I honestly haven't played it. Yeah, but I've it's seen a video. Extremely hateful game. They yeah. made more of them, but it's important because this is ahead of the Supreme Court ruling in the favor of video games as art deserving protections of art. So it was incredibly provocative and kind of spurred along that conversation. This is also when Fallout, the very first Fallout comes out. It's when Parappa the Rapper comes out. The very first Grand Theft Auto is this year. Final Fantasy VII, which... Final Fantasy VII, let's not discount the fact that you play the role of eco-terrorists. Like, that's... That is your function in, in the game. Um, you know, these, these are big popular games, but the things that they're talking about and the things that they're saying are inherently, I mean, especially today, would be seen as provocative. Yeah. Um, the other big one, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so a, a big year. Here's one thing I'll say. I don't think GoldenEye should be on our, our top 25. Well, I would agree with that, even though I think people at home might be like, shook. I, I mean, it's tough. Because you're right. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. If you try to play GoldenEye now, and, and people are going to get that chance because it's about to come out in HD on Xbox and Switch. Uh, if you try to play GoldenEye now, I do not think it's a very fun game. Brace yourself. Yeah. It just isn't. Uh, it's very stiff and um, the levels are very simple. And But it was the only game in town when it came to console first-person shooters. And it, like, multiplayer-wise, like... You know, it was fun to, like, move through a 3D world and then shoot your friends in multiplayer. Like, I got it. But if you try to play it now, it's it's pretty rough stuff. But it was, you know, if we're talking about, like, must-includes, it really did set a format for games like Halo and Call of Duty to follow in the future. So I am hesitant to sh- totally rule it out, even though I do not think it's a fun game to play today. I think it its importance has kind of been a bit of a roller coaster ride where there was a period where, you know, console gaming was dominant, PC gaming, you know, kind of died down for a while um, before, like, again, really boosting in recent years. And I think the idea of, hey, this game started, you know, bringing shooters to, to consoles, that felt like a distinguishing factor. Yeah. But now that shooter, like, playing any game on any platform, they all just kind of blur together. Like, okay, you're playing it on PC or you're playing it on a console, you're playing it on your phone, whatever. Sure. You're just playing the game. Yeah, there's and not be- really a PC shooter versus a console shooter. Yes, and because of that, I think now, you know, making our list in 2020, what's more important is what just set up the first-person shooter in general. Like, yeah, what are think- the... Ki- either online multiplayer, which I think we could point to Quake, as one of those games sure. or doom or counter-strike um but golden yeah. fell in the middle and just the the nuance was really just that it was on console and people loved it because it was on console because yeah, multiplayer was super easy to set up but as a game it, you know that's really the only distinguishing aspect of it yeah and even if i was going to give credit to a console game in that way i I don't even like the series that much, but Halo would probably come to mind. Because... Was, uh, here, here's the counter argument, though. Yeah, was GoldenEye the first big head, big head mode? Mm, it, it, it did have DK mode and it had paintball mode. Yes. Um, Grand Theft Auto One, I, I assume no. And yeah, one... it's a, it's a big no for Grand Theft Auto One. I I I really like Grand Theft Auto One. 
There is a little bit of DNA here that carries forward through the series, but it is so different and so simple compared to, you know, more defining Grand Theft Auto games that it would be, I'd be hard pressed to include it. Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Now, this one I would definitely consider, but again, if we're looking at like originators, is is the Metroidvania genre, which is really what, you know, Castlevania Symphony of the Night helped define, is it more Metroid or is it more Castlevania? Uh, I kind of think it's more Metroid, quite honestly. And if I'm going to pick a defining Metroidvania game, I think I would pick a Metroid game, even though I think this is a better game than like uh, Super Metroid, for example. Yeah. No, I, I think that all makes sense. I, I I mean, the one that stands out here is Final Fantasy VII. I yeah. mentioned Chrono Trigger earlier is like, is it the greatest RPG of all time? Well, it's going up against the other greatest RPG. Final of Fantasy all time. VII. Here's what Final Fantasy VII did. First of all, it was the first one in three days. Secondly, it was the first one that showed, and like, let me correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so this predates Metal Gear Solid. Final Fantasy VII was like a cinematic event for video games. Like it really did like out have outsized impact on culture, broadly speaking. And very few games had done that at that point where it became like as big as a major movie release. Um, yeah. And that really is why I think Final Fantasy VII stands out. And every Final Fantasy game and really a lot of JRPGs since then have taken the scale that was set forth in Final Fantasy VII and carried that through. So I do think it is unquestionably worth considering. It was also one of the first games to cross the sports gamer Rubicon. Oh, like, oh you know, yeah. We're like people like who, appeal. you know, bought a Sega Genesis like my cousin to play, you know, triple play baseball or whatever every year in yeah. CAA football. Something happened with Final Fantasy VII where everyone played it. Yeah. Everybody. It was wild. And it's especially wild in hindsight. Like, it's a weird, weird game. It's, it's so weird. It's weird. Go- it's good. I, I think it's, it's really good. It's, it, it's great, but it's yeah. just weird that everybody's like, yeah, I'm going to play the game about eco-terrorists where they go snowboarding at a certain point. And right? you know what it is? Great opening. That's why that game, it, really, more so than any other uh, Final Fantasy game, has such a grabbing throws you right in opening without the like big throat clearing like first the crystals were created and then the crystals created babies and those baby crystals created more crystals and then 30 minutes later you might get to f- fight one crab Final Fantasy 7 you're on a fucking train heist and you blow up a giant like reactor it's awesome yeah and, and the developers really knew how to mix 3D like simple 3D polygons with 2D you know effectively matte paintings with, you know, pre-rendered CG video yeah. in between. I mean, it, it, every time they had to choose which one to use, they chose the right one so that it felt like it was from the future. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think is like a big trick that very few other games pull off because they either just go, hey, you know, what? it's all going to be the best 3D. And then they can't maintain that polish or, you know, it goes the other direction. Um, they just, wow, what, yeah. what a game. Um, okay, 1998, we're moving along. This is the year, so we're we're building up games. Uh, first version shooters have become popular. It's now pretty common to see people owning PC gaming and doing LAN parties. Pokemon Red and Blue got games in the hands of like kids everywhere. 
And then 1998 happens, and this to me is like the year that video games go legit. This is effectively the year that sets in place the franchises that we have for the next two decades. Yeah. It's wild. 1998, Zelda Ocarina of Time, Half-Life, Gran Turismo, Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil 2, StarCraft, Baldur's Gate, and then we get into stuff that's not as big but is still relevant. Grim Fandango, Thief, The Dark Project, Fallout 2, Final Fantasy Tactics, Parasite Eve, Body Harvest, Suikoden 2, Radiant Silver Gun, Jurassic Park Trespasser, which we'll get back to, Space Station, Silicon Valley, Sonic Adventure, and Banjo-Kazooie. Yep. Woo! Yeah, that's a big... Where do you even big start? Year. Big year. Um, I mean... Yeah, I mean, we can talk, you know, looking at, obviously, Ocarina of Time, man, bringing bringing the franchise of Zelda into 3D and doing it with some, like, very creative elements of just a, a simple example. The idea that you could determine how far you were jumping based on how quickly you were running at a ledge is, like, mm. a very creative game design solve to a problem of like, should we let people jump everywhere? Because if we do that, then that's going to change our whole level design system. So here they they came up with that. Um, yeah, why, certainly worth uh, considering. Half-Life, I want to call out the original Half-Life. Uh, it's worth noting because of its intro. In contrast to Final Fantasy VII, Half-Life starts with a tram ride where essentially nothing happens. You just stand on the tram as it slowly introduces you to Black Mesa, which is this uh, scientific facility. And the credits roll. And the credits are rolling. And uh, while you're on the tram, you're like, you can look out through any window. You have full control to like walk around the tram, but there's nothing else going on. And it actually was like one of the most cinematic introductions to any video game I've ever played. Because the idea that like you were getting introduced to this world as you would if you were actually in that world, like starting a job at this facility before shit goes wrong and you push a crystal into a giant laser beam and end the world. Uh, very amazing. And, and, and uh, again, as a, like a cinematic shooter, it really redefined what like a shooter could be. Whereas every even Quake, you go back to that and it's just like you get dropped on a, a planet and there's aliens running around, and you just like rock shit with the shotguns. Half Life showed another way to do a shooter. Um, so you know, in that way, I consider Half Life way more impactful than like GoldenEye, for example. Yeah. Then we have two. I mean, completely defining games for the Sony PlayStation. Probably yeah. the two games that Sony would not be here without them. They they made the console, and that's Gran Turismo and Metal Gear Solid. Gran Turismo. I mean, it's probably hard for people to believe now, which is weird to say, but Gran Turismo used to be like one of the biggest things in the industry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Huge. Was, uh, yeah, having um, know, racing sims was like a, a, a really big deal. Yeah, and the, you know, this is getting away from the arcade racers. This is letting you tinker with the cars. It gave you, at the time, a sense of ownership of these cars. Like that was the fantasy, right? That yeah. You are doing real racetracks in the world and you are getting real cars and you're tinkering with them as you would. Um, and I, this is another one of those games. I remember all of my uncles and cousins being absolutely obsessed with Gran Turismo. I think Gran yeah. Turismo 2 kind of even further solidified this. But the flip side is 
Talk about a, a series that has lost its luster. Well, not only that, I would say like there were racing sims long before Gran, Tur- Gran Turismo. I'm pretty sure the Need for Speed franchise predates it. Um, yeah, were... I wouldn't really call the racing sims in the same capacity, though, right? Uh, like... No, I, I think they were. I mean, they weren't quite as like physically accurate as Gran Turismo. It definitely, Gran Turismo definitely took it to a new level. But I think at its core, it is a realistic racing sim. And there are there were like early racing sims. Uh, you know, I wasn't playing them, but it wasn't the first one, certainly. And yeah, I guess it's the first one that's like good. Because Gran yeah. Turismo is like, we're running from the cops. I mean, like, I, yeah, like I can't and tell you shit. what's a good one. I didn't play enough of those There, games, there you but. go. Um, the, the other one here, Metal Gear Solid, I mean, it is what we know Hideo Kojima for. It is the cinematic video game yeah. of that time. Uh, you could smoke cigarettes in a video game. How a thrill. It was meta and it had a story that, well, I don't know if I would necessarily love the story. It is ambitious as all hell. Sure. Um, and and I think clever. I think Kojima's become a, a stronger I don't know if storyteller is the right word. I, 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 I prefer his ideas now than I did then. I like Death Stranding more, which hot take, I guess. Um, but, I mean, this game, it, it, again, hard to overstate its importance. Yeah, I, I think it really was, you know, more so than Half-Life or more so than even Final, uh, Final Fantasy VII. This was the, like, you're playing a movie game. And, yes. and it was very good at that. Like, it wasn't a movie game, like a knockoff, whatever. We're going to cash in on a Jurassic Park game. Uh, this was like a full on, like, you're you're controlling a movie. And It really is wild we've not seen a cinematic adaptation of Metal Gear. Yeah, that is a little. So, I mean, you know, rights and, and all that stuff, especially with Japanese franchises, I can imagine, rightfully, yeah. they're very precious about how but- they're used. I feel like Konami, it's like that. <laughs> yeah, they, they would take Konami right seems now, to find their know? money wherever they can get it. Yeah. So that is surprising. <laughs> um, some other big ones here, Resident Evil 2. It's significant, but again, I, I, I kind of lean towards Metal Gear Solid in terms of what these are accomplishing for yeah. industry. Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 1, again, extremely important. It, it's a matter of, you know, comparing fractions of a millimeter in difference yeah. here. Yeah, I agree. I think Metal Gear Solid would be the game to to pull out, even though the, they're both excellent. Um, and StarCraft, I think StarCraft 2 would be the game that if we... No, I disagree with that. Really? Yeah, no. I I mean, if we were to... I, I still would go back to, like, I think Warcraft 2 is the game from a RTS standpoint that, like, really started selling the genre. But StarCraft 1 was totally formative and defined so much of what starcraft 2 is that uh yeah no see here's why i put starcraft here and i would actually put starcraft above the warcraft 2 pick okay starcraft gives us esports like that's a good point think we have esports you're right especially internationally without starcraft yeah that's a fair point that is a good argument um yeah it wasn't really here but certainly in korea starcraft as an esport, like blew up and everything kind of came out of that. Yeah. And you're right in that case that Starcraft 2 would still be a follow up to, yes. like, that, it only magnified that. Yes. 100%. Mm, yeah. I'm going to keep that one okay, folded for fair. now. 
Um, some other stuff here. Parasite Eve, I think, criminally underrated <laughs> in terms of what it did with the Resident Evil formula. That yeah. said, I don't think it's like a must play. I think Body Harvest is at least worth mentioning because I think it has more to do with the Grand Theft Auto 3 and onward DNA than even the original Grand Theft Auto does. Body Harvest is made by many of the same people. It is an open world game in which you can hop in vehicles and drive around. It is like basically kind of recreating the 1950s sci-fi monster space movie matinees. Like just an awesome premise and I really wish it could come back. But again, because it's a Nintendo 64 game, way too ahead of its time. It yeah. is trying to accomplish things that honestly it would not be able to do for another decade. Um, and same thing goes for Jurassic Park Trespasser, a absolutely bad, just a bad game, <laughs> but a game that does so much. It tries so many things, including like real physics um, that we we would not have a lot of the stuff that we see in action games today without it existing. I believe I don't know if this is true or not, if it's apocryphal or what. But I believe Half-Life 2 is, like, influenced by Jurassic Park Trespasser. I think I wouldn't Gabe be surprised because it is that. so defined. Half-Life 2 is so defined by physical interaction stuff. Uh, and really, all of Valve's development after, um, since Half-Life 2, has been, like, a lot of, like, boxes falling on levers to push other things. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's not super surprising. Uh, not to oversimplify. Like, obviously, they make the best games on the planet are some of the best, but uh, they are very interested in, in doing like physical objects moving in and interacting. Okay, we got one more year and then we can take a break and we'll come down and narrow this down. So final okay. year, 1999. Oh this for me is taking like all that weirdness of the early 90s that we talked about. Yeah. But like people have actually had time to learn how to do it. <laughs> There, there are lessons learned from making games in 3D spaces. We're actually starting to see publishers like get a grip on what they want to accomplish in terms of giving notes to developers. Development studios are like getting larger, um, and games are going online right now. This is again the the beginning of uh, the Sega Dreamcast nine nine ninety nine, and uh, because of that. It's the new generation of consoles. Games are just getting more expensive. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like a professionalization period, I guess I would say, for the games industry. And it's not quite the right word because no, it's what, the behavior it, right. there I mean, is professional, but you know what I mean. It's been a few years uh, after 3D was introduced, and now they everyone's got their feet wet, and they understand how to at least make it like legit game, and it's not mm -hmm. like a experimental thing anymore. Yeah. So this year, Soul Calibur... Gran Turismo 2, Homeworld, System Shock 2, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Shinmu, Pepsi Man, EverQuest, Super Smash Brothers, Age of Empires 2, Medal of Honor, which I wrote down as Meal of Honor, which sounds like a much cooler <laughs> game, uh, Planescape Torment, Ape Escape, Siphon Filter, Silent Hill, Final Fantasy VIII, Resident Evil 3, Chrono Cross. Yeah. Which of these stand out for you? Uh, yeah, well, certainly Tony Hawk Pro Skater, you know, just as an amazing, uh, skating game, uh, there aren't a ton still today, but, uh, certainly defined an entire franchise. Um, you have Shenmue bolded here, 
which I kind of roll my eyes at because I think it is <laughs> really unplayable, but I understand that people like it. Um, the definition of a game that I do not think is good, but I think is important. Can we talk about Pepsi Man? You included Pepsi Man here. Please. I love to talk about Pepsi Man. I, I've never played it. Okay. That's but I know like it problem. involves Pepsi. Yeah, it, it will. So it actually is, I think culturally relevant because it is you know all the endless runners that you have on yeah. iphone like the 3d ones like temple run sure pepsi man that that's that's the game that was the whole it, game yeah i mean it, it's an endless runner in that in that style hmm. do i think it should be in our final list no do i think people should know that pepsi man exists yes definitely yeah. um everquest yeah, EverQuest is almost certainly, I think, uh, a candidate for inclusion. Yeah. I mean, the question I have with EverQuest, and well, can you explain what EverQuest was? Sure. EverQuest was a fantasy MMO. And really, I mean, it wasn't the very first MMO ever, MMORPG ever, but it was certainly the breakout one and defined how to make a broadly appealing a uh, successful online massively multiplayer game. Um, and, the, you know, that alone uh, sort of has it stand out. Now, the genre, the MMORPG genre, I don't think is certainly at its heights these days, but so many games came out of the EverQuest model, uh, and some of them did it much better than EverQuest did. You know, World of Warcraft certainly jumps to mind, but uh, this was the first, and and... Certainly, a lot of games owe their success to EverQuest. Yeah, I, I think this is a case where, while immensely important, we get a lot of that with World of Warcraft too. A few years from, from I this think point. this was. I think so much of World of Warcraft owes its credit and its success to this game. So that's why I would include this. I, I, over I think World that's true. I, I think that's true. I guess for me, it's again if. This is a, like a syllabus, right? It's not just the game design that they did at first. It's that the cultural conversation of video games to not talk about wor World of Warcraft would be just a tremendous gap. Where I think yeah. like you could talk about games without talking about EverQuest. That's fair. I, it, you know, it's, I don't want to say like EverQuest is a footnote in World of Warcraft. You know, like, it, it's not that. It's immensely popular. But, the, you know, you just get into a tricky thing with MMOs of, well, which one do you prioritize as the first to do it right? Yeah. Like, is it is EverQuest? Or is it Ultima Online? Right, like, exactly. It gets, it gets a little tricky there. Um, I, I like Tony Hawk's Pro Skate, Skater oh. a lot. Oh, yeah, let, let's get to that in just one second. But Tony Hawk's yeah. Pro Skater, I like a lot. But I, I think it is kind of like Rock Band, where mm, it had its <laughs> it, moment. It had its moment, and and that's about it. And it was, um, I mean, uh, unlike Rock Band, like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater moment was like ten years. It was like a long, long period of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, you said Smash Brothers. Yeah, I, I mean, mean today. Smash Brothers is like way more relevant now than it has been in a while, just because we're we're seeing games like Multiverses and what was the other one? That's like another one floating around these days. 
I, I guess with Smash, it's like I would put Melee up there because I think the culture that it creates. Is- yeah, Melee did define. It wasn't a moment. It wasn't. It was Smash Brothers. The original was like a popular game. People really liked it. But Melee was like, oh, this is like something else. This elevated to another level. So I kind of agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Smash, the original Smash Brothers was like a great party game. Yes. But Pikachu was OP, and there was not a lot you could do about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, we made it. We made it through five years. Oh, my God. This was such a meaty one. Do you want to take a quick break? Yeah. And we can come back and actually narrow this thing down? Let's do it. Okay, we are back. And now comes the difficult part of narrowing this down. We are allowed three per episode, and there's a little bit of wiggle room for a fourth or, like, I mean, a fifth would be really hard. That would that would dig into some options later on for us. Yeah. Uh, so I think we want to go for three. And then if we have to go over that, well, we, 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 we can make it work. We'll we, see. We, we've been good with ourselves so far. We've left some wiggle room with our previous episodes. Yeah. What is, like, a absolutely it's going to make the cut game for you? Yeah. Um... It's going down. I'm going to guess it's Super Mario 64. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, it's definitely Super Mario 64. Yes, unquestionably. I think, I think that's right. We do now have two Mario games on this, but I think it's a pretty simple case. The original Super Mario Brothers effectively was the like proof of concept and a great execution of 2D side-scrolling video games. Yes. And Super Mario 64 is the exact same thing for 3D. Exactly. Just absolutely disgusting how how much they nailed it and how it would take other developers, like, I don't know, many, many years to come even close sure. to how good this game feels. Um, complete, just a hole in one. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that's up there. After that, it gets complicated. I think I think Pokemon Red and Blue also, for me, is a gimme. It it creates the biggest franchise ever yeah. of any kind. Like I mean that that alone, and and because that franchise exists, we get Pokemon Go, which I think is just a huge cultural moment, and will feel like a even bigger one later on as augmented reality becomes a bigger part of our daily lives. Um, and it's Pokemon. I mean, I I can't not include Pikachu on. A 25 list. Everybody who, if somebody didn't know anything about video games, they should come out of our experience knowing who Pikachu is. He's yellow. He's got electricity. He, he's an electric rat. Yeah. Um, okay. So now now we're, we have two. So now I, I think kind of stuff that we had narrowed it down to, again, these are some great games. I think if we're going to, well, this might be helpful to narrow things down a little bit. I don't think we include both Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid. Like, I think both of those are checking the same box, which is mm. the introduction of true cinematic feeling games. And maybe Half-Life is in that same category. Like, this is bringing that level of cinematic things to video games. I think that's true. I also don't feel like we include Final Fantasy VII in Chrono Trigger. That's probably true for different reasons. Yes, yes, yes. Which makes me think that Final Fantasy VII gets 
It does the most for us. That's true. Yeah, it is both a pretty defining RPG while also being a very cinematic video game and uh, the most discs out of any of the games on this list. That's very true. So many discs. So, so that takes Half-Life off for sure. It takes off Chrono Trigger. I, I don't think that we do Ocarina of Time. I agree with you for because of Mario 64, which I think defined the 3D exploration space, which Zelda is doing that. And it does some uh, pretty amazing things as well. Like the day-night cycle was introduced in Ocarina of Time. I'd never seen that before in a game. Um, and so many other things. But I think the, at its core, it was a game about 3D exploration. And Mario 64 really like popped the cork on that. This is where I remind people. This is not a comment on whether or not the game is fantastic or not, or even if it's better than some of the games that are going to make the final list. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't definitely love, a case to be made. I don't love I mean, Ocarina of Time, <laughs> but I, that's I, notwithstanding. Sure. It's not my favorite uh, Zelda game. I think it's a little overrated, quite honestly, but. Wow, hot damn. Um, okay, so that that is off. Uh, I think StarCraft makes the cut. I think StarCraft makes the cut because I think we, I think we need to, recognize strategy in here especially real while also strategy. recognizing esports without while also recognizing esports and i think i th and also starcraft just a great game it is like a very just good game. An, like i think i think it's the best and very good and game it's a, it's the best what blizzard game oh i don't like, know about that oh i'm saying that as somebody who does not get into have you MMOs. played diablo immortal Okay, I'm, not, I'm certain that it's the best. Of, <laughs> yeah, this is the Lost Vikings. Um, yeah, I, I think it's the esports thing takes it over over the hump for us. Yeah, and and I would say it also, for what it's worth, provides some aspect of the cinematicness because of the the cutscenes were amazingly good um, and LAN multiplayer. Yeah, like it it it's doing three. Yeah, it's another one of those games races that were completely different from one another. Um, Zerg rushes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Name all the other buzzwords about StarCraft that you know. Mm, that's all of them. Harvesting my crystals <laughs> for ire. That's all I really remember. You know, you, you nailed it. Where does that put us, though? That is four picks. That's four. I think that's good. Are we okay with four? I, I mean, four is more than normal. You know, we're not going to get a pick four every time. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think, you know, going for five makes it even yeah, more no. challenging And I don't think we on. need to. I, I think this is a good place. No, I, I, I feel I feel pretty good with with this list. You know, there is um, one slight one. Uh, and maybe are, are we going to do our, our favorite picks? Yeah, well? we're going to do that. OK, too. so that's fine. I, I will hold my okay. comment for that. So for for the listeners, what I will do is I will share uh, a public Google Doc that just has all of the games on it. So if you are the type of person who wants to know all of the games that we think are great games from these period, from this kind of window, you you can have that too. And if somebody wants to put together like a top 500 games list, please be our guest. Go for it. Um, uh, but I, I think we've got some great additions to our required reading list. Those are, again, Super Mario 64, Pokemon Red and Blue, Final Fantasy VII, and StarCraft. And we're working our way through. We're getting close to halfway 
through the process. Amazing. It's wild. Um, uh, do you want to take a, a beat to pick our our personal favorites? What are the games that you you would put on your desert island list, I guess. Okay, so the game... find you. Um, you know, the game that jumped out at me as we were going through this list that, I, you know, I would put Thief the Dark Project on I this list. Say that. Uh, for my personal favorite. Um, Thief was a... I guess you would call it an immersive sim these days. Games like um, uh, Dishonored and Prey and... System Shock 2, which came after that, were very much informed by the earlier games defined. Uh, you know, the studio was called the um, Looking Glass Studios, and um, a lot of their games, you know, that design mentality carried throughout. Bioshock certainly informed a lot by uh, projects that uh, were created at Looking Glass. So, yeah, I love the Thief franchise, and this was really showing a, a first-person game where you weren't like an unstoppable killing machine. You weren't Duke Nukem. You were just like a thief and you had a blackjack and you could hide in the shadows. But if anyone saw you, the second like your sword had to come out, you were basically dead. Um, so it defined not only immersive sim, but also kind of stealth games in general. So really very good game. I think each of us can pick three here and you just want to go back and that forth. That seems like too many. Does it? Yeah, I think we were only doing one. I think you're right. Per but there's group. just so many games. I'm going to mention Harvest Moon again. I'm, that's not going to be my pick. Yeah. I'm just mentioning it again because that game, like that game, made such a, a great impression on me. I adored that game as a kid, and it was exactly what I was, what I wanted, without knowing what it was I was looking for. Yeah. You know, but the game I'm going to pick also from 1998. Same with Thief. Banjo Kazooie. Bushido Blade 2. Oh, yes. Bushido Blade 2, absolutely incredible. Talk about games that just nobody did it again. Bushido Blade 1 and 2 were fighting games, one-on-one fighting games, in which you picked a character, and then their weapon could be like kind of daggers or large hammers or swords. And it wasn't quite one-hit kill, but it was dang near close yeah there was no life bars and and the way kills worked was kind of like well if you got hit in the leg that's how it would hurt it would it would do a lot of damage and if you got hit in the head yeah you would just be dead if you got struck twice you would be completely ko'd yeah um and you could like throw dirt in people's eyes you could throw your weapon but then you were out of weapon if somebody you know chopped your arm you suddenly had it changed your stance uh and it captured that thing that is so awesome in samurai films that i i, w- I really wanted from um what was that the the samurai game on the playstation 4 or 5 mm. that everybody loved ninja gaiden no that's ninjas. oh my that's not gosh the, it was the big open world game from the studio in in the pacific northwest Anyway, it'll come to me before the oh, end Ghost of the episode. Oh, Ghost of Tsushima. You're Ghost of Tsushima. Yep. The first time we saw a trailer for that, they kind of showed a hint of this idea, which is a samurai showdown is mostly two people staring each other down, and you're watching their hands grip the sword, and you're watching their feet adjust to each other. And then somebody makes a big move, and either it's countered or it's not, and like that's most of the fight. Yeah. Um, and that... That's what this game is. Do I think uh, Ghost of Tsushima would have been good if they had actually done that? No, probably not. That probably actually is not a great way to make a game <laughs> as an open world action game that appeals to lots of people. But 
Bushido Blade, it was just so cool to have a fighting game that rewarded patience and confidence. Yeah. Where you really did have an advantage if you could just keep your chill um, and let somebody come at you and then just sidestep them and get them with one good swipe. Uh, it rules. There is somewhat of like a spiritual predecessor out on Steam now. Have you? Did you play that game? No. Uh, it, it, it's good. I'm trying to, to remember its name. I don't know. It'll come to me. I'll I'll tweet about it. Uh, but yeah, there there really hasn't been a, a standout game like it ever since. And I kind of just assume that we'll never see another Bushido Blade. That it's caught up in that same sort of like I don't know limbo of rights that a lot of games from that period are where even if we wanted to get another one, it wouldn't be able to happen. Um, that game, by the way, I just remembered hellish court. Ah, if you want that, there was also, um, versions of this with, um, deadless world's deadliest warrior. Was that what it was called? Deadliest oh, uh, warrior. Yeah. Yeah. That? The, warrior yeah. Like they that. made two of those for, um, Xbox live arcade, I think. And it, they were fine. You could be, you know, Genghis Khan, chop people's arms off. <laughs> um, anyway, great game. Next to zero influence beyond itself. Uh, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't encourage people to give it a try. Um, anything else? Anything else you're playing uh, and, or watching? Um, nothing that really stands out, I think. Uh, yeah, we we obviously talked a lot about a lot of different games on uh, Besties, which has been keeping my attention uh, I did play some Deep Rock Galactic with Justin and Griffin for a little bit. So we'll talk more about that, I think, on Besties, this coming Besties. Nice. So I, I really need to make time with y'all. Very interesting game. Um, And I watched When Worlds Collide last night. I don't know what that is. It's this movie from 1951, and it is an absolute trip. The premise is that uh, Sun... And not our sun, a different sun, a star, if you will, is barreling directly towards planet Earth. That seems bad. And it also has another planet that is orbiting it that is basically also an Earth. Like it has like a breathable, livable climate in it. And uh, yeah, it's about the end of the world and whether or not they can build an arc to fly off of our planet at the last second and land on the new Earth to kind of basically swapsies yeah um and let me tell you for a movie from 1951 it goes for it all right uh really commits to the bit was not (laughs) prepared for it to go as dark as it does uh so it's great and if you love kind of like schlocky b-movie visual aesthetics and practical effects i think you'll like it a lot i i was i was really tickled and honestly like pretty tense uh which is another thing i i did not expect from a movie that is effectively about uh, how we should bleed Elon Musk of all of his money to fund a means of getting off of this planet, uh, but then maybe not invite him. Oh. Uh, so yeah, cool hang. Uh, did we do it? Did we do an episode? Yeah, we did it. We crushed it. Whew. Well, friends, that's it. That's been another episode of The Besties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. I'm Chris Plant. I'm Russ Frustick. You are Russ Frustick. And this is it. Yeah, you screwed it up because you normally do the intro at the outro after the names, but that's okay. We'll let it roll. Resties! Resties! <laughs>